Hi, I'm Byron Anderson, a PE. Hi, I'm Ted Corliss, and I'm a JD. Welcome to the PEJD podcast. Byron, isn't this going to be fun today? Absolutely. As a professional engineer or a PE, my primary duty is to protect the health, safety, welfare, and property of the public. As such, I think it's important for us to bring forth topics and information that is going to help inform the public how to protect their property. My name is Ted Corliss, and I've been a property insurance lawyer for more than 25 years. As a property insurance lawyer, my objective is to maximize insurance coverage, especially for larger multi-unit buildings that are condominiums or anything that may be managed by a property manager, especially those licensed community association managers. It's important for us to address these issues both from a technical engineering perspective, but also examine them within the context of the rights and responsibilities under large commercial insurance policies. And so if you're a property manager or the member of a board or even an interested property owner at a community that's part of an association or a commercial property owner, you will want to hear what we have to say. We're going to address a lot of issues that are on the more technical nature associated with sinkhole losses. But in that context, it's important that we explain to unit owners as well as those unit owners who are on the boards of directors of these individual properties, what, what is your responsibility? What happens if you don't meet that responsibility? And then we're going to digest some of the specific defenses or issues that oftentimes will pop up in these claims. We think that by gathering this information for you, you're going to be able to have uh, an important perspective on these issues, and it'll provide you an opportunity to know the kinds of issues you should keep your eyes out for. And so we can just jump right into that, Byron. Where, where should we start? Well, Ted, I think we should start with a few legal questions, a few, a few JD questions, if you will. That's so right. So okay. one, one of the first questions that I have for you, Mr. Attorney, is what is the role of property insurance? You know, it's impossible to own a significant piece of property without also having it insured by a, an appropriate property insurance company. The role of property insurance can get kind of muddied, though, if you have a claim that takes protracted periods of time to complete. For example, you know, some of the repairs I know you're going to talk about to these buildings, the insurance company is certainly there to be the bank, but at the same time, because of a lot of the laws associated with these kinds of losses, the insurance company, in a way, can almost become a pseudo-property manager, and that's where things can get a little weird, especially when they're spending their own money and maybe not in the way that you want them to. Okay, okay so let me ask you another specific question. The vehicle between a property owner and an insurance company that administers this insurance is a contract, right? That's right. So it's subject to all the contract uh, issues, formation, as well as uh, breach of contract. And so does that contract typically require that the insurance company repair a property or provide uh, financial backing to repair a property to like, kind, and quality following a covered loss? It, it does. That expression that you just used is commonly uh, contained within these insurance policies, meaning that if you take a single-family residence and that particular property is damaged by a fire, you know, you've got to be able to return that property to its pre-loss condition. And the only way to do that 
is to use the same or similar materials as well as the same or similar methods. And, and, you know, a lot of times it's this, that's what, you know, where you butt heads between an insured and an insurance company, you may insurance company sees a wall with a crack in it. And all they see is the crack to fix, but the insured sees the wall and they want that wall to look the way it did before that crack appeared. In, in that context, you would have a situation where the insurance company may just believe we're going to fill the crack and then we're just going to paint that area. But the insured says, I can stand back and I can see that you've actually done the work. And that means it's not a return to its pre-loss condition. And that, and that process can be battled between insured and insurance companies over virtually every component of a building, whether it's the roof or the walls or the foundation. Okay, so from a, a simplistic engineering perspective, uh, property insurance is a financial vehicle that for a reoccurring fee, I can purchase this contract that should restore my property to a like kind and quality perspective following a covered loss. Is that basically That's, it? That is the objective. Yes, that is the objective. Okay. Very much so. So let me ask you another question along that line. What is the what is a fiduciary responsibility? The fiduciary responsibility is a relationship that exists between either um, an individual and another individual. Uh, for example, uh, if you are a uh, you know you're, you're a lawyer, for example, like me, I have a fiduciary responsibility when acting on behalf of my clients, and that also applies in situations where there's a relationship between an insurance company and an insured. The, the reason we have this fiduciary duty, as it's called, is that it, most of the time it requires the individual who, who has that duty to act in the best interests of the insured without a consideration of how it is it might affect that individual who, who owes the duty. Uh, if you're an insurance company, you're not really supposed to be thinking to yourself as you're examining these kinds of claims. How is it best that we can repair this to save the insurance company money or to save them from some other legal consequence? The fiduciary responsibility that I think it's important for us to talk about to folks today in the context of these multi-unit, multi-building, especially properties, is the idea that if you're on the board of directors for any of these properties, you as an individual, as a member of that board, owes a duty to the unit owners that you are uh, that are in your charge. And that is that if, for example, we have 25 buildings and three of them are destroyed uh, because of any of these perils, sinkhole, fire, lightning that causes fire, anything like that, when you're on that board, you have to base your decisions on what's in the best interest of the unit owners as a whole. And you can't do things where you are trying to protect your own personal interests. Let me give you an illustration. We have a couple of cases where, in the, these are in the past, so I'm comfortable talking about them, where we discovered that board members actually owned several units and they were slowing down efforts to require the funding of repairs, not because the repairs weren't due at that point, but instead 
because they knew if they issued an assessment to all the unit owners, they were personally going to be hit with several assessments, not one for each one of their units. And we would discover that they were one of them, for example, this gentleman, we, we told them a year prior several times and in writing that they needed to paint the building, that the building envelope needed to be repaired. And literally a year later, they're still, they were still fighting over it because the individual unit owners that were on the board didn't have the money for the assessment. And so that would be an example of a breach of the fiduciary duty. And that's when you'll see lawsuits get filed between individual unit owners and the board of directors. Uh, so that would be a quintessential conflict of interest is what you're telling me. Exactly. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that I would describe it as a straight up conflict of interest as much as it's a breach. I mean, you, I mean, it's okay that you own 10 units mm. out of the hundred units. That's fine. And everybody knows that, but when you are deliberately scuttling efforts to preserve the property, you know, a lot of the unit owners are going to say, wait a minute. You know, one of the things that uh, when I came to Florida back in 1998, I'd been practicing in Missouri for just a few years. I obviously became very aware that this issue of lay people, and when I say lay people, I don't mean uneducated. I mean, they are not subject matter experts on building maintenance, but they happen to be in the community and they have either the time or the interest of serving on a board of directors. Well, in that context, you are going to be held to the requirement that you're bringing in appropriate professionals like professional engineers, like what you do, to examine the property. And most of the time, they'll have some kind of reserves that are paid in advance, meaning that they figure out how long a roof is going to last, and then they might have just, you know, different assessments along the way so that when it's time to do the repair, especially those big capital improvements, that they have the resources to be able to do that. But it is this idea that being on the board, whether you have the, you know, you necessarily have training in, in building trades or, you know, you've got experience reading legal documents, the more important thing is you're going to be held to a standard of, did you, like, what did you do when this happened, when this fire, when this sinkhole caused damage? What was your reaction to that as a board member? Did you all act timely? Did you act in the best interest of all the unit owners? Or did you somehow not? Yeah, I mean, that's I've seen many times uh, throughout the past 30 years that I've been doing this and, and dealing with different boards and stuff that, you know, I, I don't think that any board member ever understands the complexity of what their duties are going to be whenever you have some some sort of a large loss scenario pop up. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to be a board member and everything's running along fine and you've got to pay the lawn maintenance guy and, and you know, maybe you've got to get the, the building painted every couple years and, and do some minor stuff, but then all of a sudden you have a large loss um, and, and God forbid it go into some sort of litigation, then your roles and responsibilities and the complexity of your duties as that board member uh, increase exponentially. And with that, is it are board members potentially personally liable if they do not uphold their fiduciary responsibility to the owners? Well, here's here's the thing. The 
a breach of fiduciary duty does not necessarily make the individual liable on the board. And, uh, but what happens is their breach is then attributed to the board. Okay. Meaning that if there's five members of the board and they're there, a few of them are, are self dealing because they want to use certain vendors, uh, you know, it, we've seen situations where we've discovered that one particular vendor has some kind of financial relationship with one of the board members, but that that wasn't disclosed. Now, in that situation where they're really getting in there and self-dealing, yes, I, that individual liability is, 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 is potential. It's, it's difficult to make an individual board member responsible. Most of the time when they get caught with this stuff, they get kicked off the board and they're gone anyway. But okay. the, the, if the board itself is aware of it, but they don't do anything about it, then the board as a, or really the association gets sued by some individual or group of unit owners who are calling them out for their misconduct. And then that in those contexts, sometimes there's even liability insurance for that in the form of errors and omissions. So anyone who might be hearing this, if you're on a, if you're in a community managed by other individuals like like a giant condo or managed by a licensed community association manager, then if there are issues with the conduct of the board, there may be liability insurance to to resolve it. And it you know so insurance companies have have caught on that. There's so much litigation that goes on between unit owners and uh, boards of directors that they've kind of scaled back a lot of the liability coverages because they just they get killed. I mean, they just get sued all the time. Excellent. Now, tell me about your experience dealing with individual boards. You know, when you're and because obviously you work on some pretty sophisticated repairs because these are we're talking about we're not talking about a. 2,200 square foot garden home. I mean, <laughs> some of the buildings you've worked on have been enormous. I mean, how do you explain, for example, to a board of directors who are all basically retirees who meet once a month to talk about what what color we're going to paint the inside of the, the pool house, and now suddenly you're asking them to examine a, a Twenty million dollar repair estimate. How do you do that? Well, I, I think that it's um, you know, the, the there's a idea that I've had for many years. You know, not only working with uh, property managers and board members, but also working with you know my thirty uh, plus employees, working with my students at the University of South Florida, working with my children, um, working with my customers. You know, it, it, it's all fundamentally comes down to, to two things, communication and education. And we are always educating people. Um, and that's the most effective way to manage people, manage processes, manage your children is through education. Why, Johnny, is it important that you don't touch the stove? Well, the most important way to educate is through communication. And communication can take many different forms, as you know, visual, tactile, audio. Um, but it has to be through the communication, education of the board members and and keeping it in a routine basis. I mean, the most effective projects that I've been involved in and some of the most complex and successful projects 
have been managed and dealt with through the process of regular, weekly, bi-weekly meetings where you address topics, you educate everybody, update everybody, um, and, and allow fires that come up to be put out in the kindling stage and not allow them to grow into full-blown wildfires. Well, full-blown wildfires, I should say. I don't know if you've ever seen the coffee mug that says my you know, my law degree trumps your Google search. And I think one of the motivations that I have and I, you shared with me is the idea of using things like this podcast to help educate people about you know, information they would need if they're making decisions as board members or if you're a licensed community association manager in LCAM how to edu- how to help your client, uh, the board, make good choices, uh, and honestly, it's timeliness ends up becoming so important. But I mean, do you do you see sometimes when you roll into a board where somebody's printed out an article they they about some lawyer's website that tells them all kinds of lies about? what we're really doing to in the repair uh, do you see well i mean yeah throughout my career as a as an engineer you know i've always been faced with well that's not the way we did it 30 years ago or you know that's not the way that we did it in in kentucky um well right. it's it's there's a reason that building codes change every three years and there's a reason that things are improved um that's because what worked 30 years ago doesn't necessarily work today you know it's one of my one of my favorite business sayings is what got us here today is not going to get us there tomorrow and that same adage applies to construction projects restoration projects whatever whatever it may be is that you know there's modern technologies there's there's new and different building materials building methods safety requirements are far more strict now than they were 30 years ago and we're not in Kentucky we're in Florida totally different set of codes totally set, set totally different set of loads and conditions and so yeah it's um it can be difficult when you have a, a salty uh, contractor that you know built houses in, in Kentucky uh, 30 years ago comes in and is on the board and thinks he knows how a restoration project or, or a renovation project at a condominium or in a building is going to go so with that uh, I think we will take a quick break Uh, And we'll come back soon. Very good.